Um, so today, uh, this passage that we're looking at, I considered to be my Waterloo. It was the worst sermon I ever preached years ago. Even, it was early on in my career, and even someone, a good friend at the time said to me, yeah, I couldn't really follow that. So we're, we're hoping and praying for something better this morning. And what we're lo- doing is we're looking at this third and final Christmas song, this, these bits of poetry found in the Gospel of Luke surrounding Jesus' birth narrative. And these songs have been prayed by the church uh, for centuries as people do the uh, hours of prayer throughout the day. Now, the context of this passage is they are in the Jerusalem temple. There's an old faithful man there named Simeon who has been told by God that he would not die until he has seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. And so when Mary and Joseph show up with baby Jesus as they are presenting him in the temple as they are supposed to do under the Mosaic law, Simeon recognizes this is the one. And he takes baby Jesus in his arms and he speaks this passage we're about to read. But as we're going to talk about it and think about it, I want you to think about this question. What would enable you to die in peace? Think about that as I read this short passage, Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. This is what Simeon says with baby Jesus in his arms. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we're grateful for your word, and we ask that this morning you would help us to hear it and believe by your spirit. Help us to see Jesus the way Simeon did and enable us to find peace in him. Uh, We pray for everyone here and everyone who's watching online and those who are sick, and we ask that uh, you would be near to us all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the musical Les Miserables. Uh, It's about the protagonist Jean Valjean, who starts off as a hard life, and he's a criminal, and he ultimately jumps his parole, and he gets redeemed. And so he starts living a different kind of life, but he's on the run from the law. And along the way, he adopts this orphan girl, Cosette, and he raises her, and he does good wherever he can, but he's on the run. And at the end of the show, they find themselves in Paris. Cosette is grown up, and she begins to fall in love with this guy named Marius, who is a part of the revolutionary movement in Paris. And so there are these street fighting. They're trying to start a revolution there. Marius gets hurt, and Valjean goes and rescues Marius and brings him to Cosette. But his identity has been revealed, so he has to leave. But he wants to leave Cosette behind so that she can start her own life with Marius and not bring shame to her. So he knows he's dying, he's sick. He goes to a church, basically, to die. Cosette and Marius get married, and they find where he is, and they go to him in this church where he's convalescing and about to die. And of course, everyone's singing, and everyone's crying. And then Valjean, he he hands them his written confession, which is basically a story of redemption. And he says, now I can die in peace for my life is blessed. And this is a common theme throughout so many of our stories, where the hero or an important character is at or near death, and he finally sees what their soul has been longing for, and now they are ready to die. They can die at peace. They can die happy. And that's what we're talking about here. That's what's happening here in this third Christmas song, which is called Nunc Dimittis. 
It's named that for its first two words in Latin, now dismiss. This old man, Simeon, has laid his eyes on the Christ, the Messiah. He sees the the object of his longings, and now he's ready to go. That's what he means when he says, now dismiss your servant in peace. Now I can die in peace, is what he's saying. And this, this word, this short passage, has been prayed by Christians on a daily basis for over a thousand years. And as you might expect, this was the prayer to be prayed at bedtime, right before sleep. So as we're looking at this passage, we're going to actually divide it up by two questions. Questions are my main points, which is heresy for preachers. You're never supposed to have your main point be a question, but we have two questions here to organize a sermon. The first one I've already asked is, what would you need to see to die in peace? And for Simeon, it was the baby Jesus. Now, why does that do that for him? And, you know, what, what, we, what we realize, or what Luke tells us before this passage, is that Simeon was a righteous and devout man, and that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, meaning he was waiting and longing for Israel to be freed from its subjection to the Romans, freed from its subjection to its corrupt leadership and priests, free to live up to its calling that God would visit them and fill them with his spirit. And the birth of the Messiah was the beginning of all of that. Now, of course, maybe that just sounds kind of too narrow, uh, too nationalistic. That was a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. Who cares what happened in Israel 2,000 years ago? But the claim of the Bible and what Simeon's conviction was is that world history hinged on Israel, what happened in Israel. I've mentioned uh, this story before. I think it's appropriate to mention it again. In the darkest days of World War II, late 1941, the Nazis are driving deep into the heart of Soviet Union. They're also driving across Egypt towards the Suez Canal. Great Britain seemed to be the only viable opponent of the Nazis, and they were being strangled by the U-boats. And December 7th, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. And Winston Churchill was the, you know, the great wartime leader of Great Britain. And when he heard that the United States was pulled into the war, he's reported to have said, so we win after all. Right? He knew now that the United States was in on the side of the Allies, that the Allies ultimately would prevail. He had every reason to be certain of the outcome. And never before had civilization been on the line like it was then. This was for all the marbles. And Churchill knew it would be okay. And that's Simeon's perspective here as well. He says, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. All of God's promises to the human race are being fulfilled in the coming of Christ. That's Simeon's conviction. And it doesn't just mean glory for Israel. This is a light of revelation for the Gentiles, meaning all people, the whole world. And that revelation is salvation. God is saving the world through Christ. Well, saving it from what? Well, from all the darkness and violence and and brutality and death of 2,000 years ago and today. We need saving from all of our own foolishness and corruption and the world's as well. And that's what Jesus will do. That's what he's come for. By hanging on the cross in our place, he will make a way for people to come back to God, a way of forgiveness and eternal life. 
Now, Simeon doesn't know all of these specific details, though after this passage, he will hint to Mary, Jesus' mother, that her heart will be broken because of Jesus. But Simeon now believes that everything will be okay because of Jesus. So what would it take for you to be convinced that everything will be okay? Is it a certain dollar amount in your 401k? Is it a happy wedding for your child or a grandchild? Is it a particular person being elected president or not being elected president? Is it some kind of lasting peace accord in in Eastern Europe or the Middle East? You know the occasion when so many people say, now I can die in peace? It's when their sports team wins a major victory or a championship. Seriously, there's books written with that title, Now I Can Die in Peace, when the Red Sox won in 2004. One of our own veteran members, in fact, was back at his alma mater this fall for the big game, and they won. And he stormed the field with all the fans. And I saw a video of this. He's on his son's shoulders. He's on the 50-yard line. He's leading thousands of people in the school's fight song. It's an amazing video. And he texted me. He said, you live a lifetime to get an experience like this. No, he didn't say, now I can die in peace. He didn't say that. But many people in his position would. And they would be wrong. Right? Clearly, sometimes we are wrong about what will give us lasting peace, what will enable us to die in peace. I mentioned last week the uh, documentary I watched about the University of Florida football team that uh, won several championships in the 90s. They were talking about their coach at the time, Urban Meyer, and, and then he was sort of this young, up-and-coming coach who would do anything to win, and he finally won. He finally won a championship after all the work and pressure, and he was so happy. He was talking about how happy he was and how he felt like, all right, now it's just icing on the cake for me. He told his dad, Dad, there's no pressure anymore. I'm just going to have fun coaching football for the rest of my life. And then he said, that's probably the most incorrect statement a human being ever made. Right? The pressure only got more intense for him. Right? It would be terrible to be wrong about what will bring us lasting peace, what will enable us to die in peace. And so many of you might be saying, well, look, there, there is no answer to this question, right? Can anything enable you to die in peace? Money runs out, reputations fade and are forgotten, tragedy strikes, history moves on. Can anyone really die in peace? Well, the gospel says Jesus enables you to die in peace, like Simeon. When I consider uh, my own death, what if I were to die suddenly in this coming year? Heart attack or cancer or another car accident, would I be able to die in peace? Or would I be very, very anxious about something? And of course, my thoughts go to my children, my daughters. They're not growing yet. They're not adults, right? I got to stick around for them. They still need their dad. I can't die now. I can't die yet. But of course, I don't have final say over that. So then who or what can I entrust them to? My spectacular parenting up to this point Sadly, no. A pile of money I've left for them, it's not there. Right? The, the community, their school friends, all this other stuff, you know what? We all struggle to walk with people through suffering. Even my wife and parents, right? their family, they'll be dealing with their own pain as well. What can I entrust them to? 
only something or someone more powerful than culture, more powerful than grief, more powerful than all the bad choices we make, more powerful than death itself. Only Jesus can do that. What would you be anxious about at death? How a loved one will get on without you? Or some important work of yours that would go unfinished? Or maybe just simply having to answer for all of your mistakes and sin. Only Jesus can resolve those. Only Jesus can redeem those. Only Jesus can bring full forgiveness. Only in Jesus will everything be okay. So seeing and knowing Jesus does allow you to die in peace. And that's why this, these words are used as a bedtime prayer. The closest metaphor we have for death is sleep. We are never more vulnerable than when we are asleep, right? We are not conscious. We have no control. We can't will ourselves to sleep. We can't will ourselves awake. But no matter what has transpired today, you can lay your head down on the pillow and entrust it all to Jesus. You can learn to prepare for death by the way you prepare for sleep. That's what this prayer teaches us. This summer I was in uh, Charleston on vacation with my family, and uh, we spent some time in the city's oldest cemetery connected to its oldest church. I've mentioned before how I love obituaries, I love cemeteries, I love reading epitaphs. One of the memorials caught my eye. Part of it read this, in hopes of a joyful resurrection, here lies the body of Colonel William Rett, Talked about his occupation, some of his biography. Toward the bottom it said, He was a kind husband, a tender father, a faithful friend, a charitable neighbor, a religious constant worshiper of God. He was born in London, 4th of September, 1666. And this is what got my attention. And died suddenly, but not unprepared. 12th of January, 1722. He died suddenly, but not unprepared. My goodness, I pray that could be said of me if my death is a surprise. Bob died suddenly, but not unprepared. Simeon was prepared because he saw Jesus, the Christ. He knew who he was. And you can be prepared. We can be prepared as we entrust ourselves to him as well. So what do you need to see to die in peace? The answer is Jesus. But then there's a follow-up question, our second question. Do you see him? Do you see Jesus? And you might say, well, no, or not right now, or not much. Well, how did Simeon know that this random baby was the Christ? Well, as I mentioned, Luke, had, Luke already told us that, that uh, the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not taste death until he saw the Lord's Christ. And so he's in the Jerusalem temple the day that Mary and Joseph show up with baby Jesus. And Simeon sees him and he takes baby Jesus into his arms as if God had said to him, this is the one. This is my son. This is the Christ. But why is Simeon so favored? Why does he get this special knowledge and information? It can only be because he asked for it. Like I said, Luke tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, meaning he was anxious, he was anticipating the Messiah coming, he was asking to see him. Simeon asked to see the Son of God, and God showed him. 
So ask. Do you want to see Jesus? Ask. I ask just about every morning for me and for all of us. I ask that we would see Jesus. I ask that we would encounter Jesus anew, that we would be captivated by Jesus, that we would be satisfied in him. And I believe that God loves to answer that prayer in his time. In the Gospels, Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, to knock, and as we do that, we will see and find him. And when you regularly pray this nunc dementis at night before bed, you are asking God to show you Jesus, and you are making a habit of trying to see him in your day. You're saying, my eyes have seen your salvation today. Jesus showed up today. I know he did. Because the way that you push mercy and blessing into my life through him. So I can lie down in peace. And even if I don't awake, I trust you, God. In praying Simeon's words, you are training yourself to trust Jesus with everything, including your death. Now, maybe your response to, do you see him, do you see Jesus, is, I think I see him, but I don't see what you see, Bob. I don't see anything that gives me unique peace to sleep at night or unique peace to face death. I just see another do-gooder who got on the wrong side of the powers that be. Well, I'm respectfully asking you to look again. Simeon says to God, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, salvation sounds like an overtly religious term, but we all believe in salvation. Salvation is that which gives our lives meaning, that which justifies our existence, that which defines us and covers over all of our mistakes and flaws. And in every religion, every human philosophy or worldview, salvation is found in successfully and repeatedly executing a set of actions. For religions, it's, you know, praying and giving and serving and worshiping regularly. Around here in Silicon Valley, it usually consists of something like getting a good education, finding a good job, marrying a suitable spouse, owning a decent house, curating a beautiful life, raising acceptable and manageable kids. Right? In just about every system, salvation is found. Salvation is about finding the right way to behave and doing it. Even very secular, worldly people are following a system of salvation. And basically it comes down to something like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really good when you're dealing with a specific issue. But the gospel is not cognitive behavioral therapy. The gospel is all about salvation, but it is not a set of actions. Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation, God. Well, what does he see? He sees a child. He sees a human being. The good news is that salvation is God in the flesh, God coming among us. Salvation is not right actions and right behavior. Salvation is God's gracious gift to us, giving us himself. Taking on the utter lowliness of a baby born in poverty, God lived among us as a finite, vulnerable human being. He lived a life full of goodness and blessing, and he was rewarded for it by being crucified. He rose from the dead so that now all who look to him in hope will be forgiven their sins and they will be raised from the dead as well. Salvation is a person, the son of God who fought for us to bring us back to our creator father. 
It's not a set of rules or behaviors or actions. Doesn't that sound right? If there is a God who is ultimate love and goodness, wouldn't it be this way, the way of Christmas, rather than the way of performance? Christians need to be reminded of this as well, right? We so often so easily reduce salvation to just avoiding a certain set of sins and doing a certain set of good things and make sure you do your devotions and go to church. It's just cognitive behavioral therapy. We lose sight of Jesus. This Christmas Eve, behold God's salvation. Jesus Christ, not your good work. One of my pastor buddies uh, wrote this up and shared with a bunch of other pastors. An experience just happened to him. On his uh, church staff, he has an older Korean pastor who's in charge of the international ministry, and he translates all the sermons into various languages. He says, you know, he's amazing. His effect has been transformational. Well, this uh, Korean pastor, he has a hundred-year-old mother who still lives in South Korea. And from time to time, he goes back to see her. If she becomes ill, he flies over to visit with her and the rest of his family. So he went this year, and when he returned back to the U.S., my buddy and his staff observed that he had dyed his hair from his natural gray to jet black. And he had cut it super short, much shorter than he normally keeps it. He was initially unrecognizable, and he seemed to look pretty silly to those who knew him. So in their next staff meeting, the one after he got back from, uh, he, he brought up his changed appearance. He explained that his mother doesn't recognize people anymore at this point. So he decided to make himself look like he would have appeared to her 30 years ago. And it worked. She recognized him again. This woman who had been lost in the fog of dementia came alive and celebrated her son and family. This old pastor, this son, he did whatever it took to be recognized by his mom, even looking silly for her. And that's what God is doing for us. He reveals himself to us in all kinds of ways, but the primary way was by becoming one of us. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, it's all about God trying to help us recognize him. He is our salvation. He came to us to save us, not judge us. Do you see him? Ask to, and you will find peace. The peace to sleep at night, the peace to entrust yourself and everything else to him at death. Let's pray. God, again, we are grateful for your word, and your word became flesh, your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would help us to see him today, help us to see him in this season, help us to know him uh, as he really is, the Savior, God in the flesh, who died for us and brings us new eternal life and forgiveness. Would you help us to lie down in peace every night, knowing that we have seen your salvation in him? Enable us to know and walk in that faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.